What's up? You're listening to Drunken Uncultured. This is a drinking problem masqueraded as a podcast. Alcoholism isn't a joke, kids. But in this case, it is. Yeah, in this case, it kind of is. <laughs> cool. Don't tell my mom I said that, though. Mom, I'm sorry. You don't listen to this, though. My dad does. <laughs> I'll tell my mom. Sorry, Dad. It's a joke, Dad. Sort of. It's not a joke. Uh, I'm Stephanie. I'm Lindsay. And we are drunk and uncultured, as we have already stated. Yeah. <laughs> You can't tell. This is another intro that we did not script out. We haven't scripted an intro out since, since like season the first one. Season, yeah. yeah, that's why it's gotten progressively more awkward. It's, it's gone more downhill. Out. Yeah, I know. Whatever, it's fine. All right. So, any sober thoughts from last episode? The heroes, villains, antiheroes. I don't have any. I think we covered a lot. I don't think I have any. Mostly because I don't really remember a lot of last I don't episode. Either, so, that's fair. All right. Um, what are we drinking? Um, <clears throat> there's a story behind this one. You want me to say what it is first? Or yeah. You the story? Say right. what it is. So right now we are drinking Stealing Signs from Hot Butcher for the World. So we found out about Hot Butcher for the World at um, the Busy Beaver Button Company event with Half Acre. And, and illuminated, illuminated, and yeah. But it was aisle. like with it was in conjunction with Happy Grand, but there were a bunch of like local breweries there. So they did like a beer event, yeah. That was meant to be. It was supposed to be. It was a fundraiser, yeah, for the brew museum mm-hmm. that has not brewseum something like that that has not yet opened. But they're trying to open like a beer museum in the city, and so that's what that was a fundraiser for. And it's it. all these breweries from all over the city. And, uh... And Hot Butcher was there. We yes. got some of their... Super Gnarly? Super Gnarly. Yep. Um, and it was incredible. It was a good double IPA. It was a really good double IPA. Tasted like juice, as I always say. But it was really good. Um, and we, uh, have never had them. That was our first time. And yeah. we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get their beer. Yeah, we, we, uh weren't really sure where to find this so they don't have a tap room yeah they they don't don't distribute super widely yeah they're still pretty new and we were like where the hell can we buy your beer and then two weeks ago yeah two weeks ago two weeks ago yeah we were at um the beer temple at the beer temple and we were chatting with the bartender and he was like hey i have this beer you might like from hop butcher that I have on reserve that I'll let go if you guys want it. We're like, we don't know what it is, but if you think we'd like it, we trust you. We were talking about Hot Butcher, and we were telling him that we like Super Gnarly, and he was like, if you like Super Gnarly, what we have in our store doesn't really reflect the flavor of Super Gnarly as well. So, like, based on what I think you like, I think you'll like this one better. And he did give us some of his, like, personal stash. Yeah. Which um, was so nice. Yeah, it was super nice. He was like, I was going to buy this myself, but... I have 20 cases of beer in my fridge, so it's fine. Yep, so we have, as Steph mentioned, Stealing Signs. And it's really good. It's made with Galaxy, Simcoe, I don't know what that other one is. I'm going to try and pronounce this, but Mutare. We could look it up. We have the internet. Um, and it's a, those are all hops, and it's a double IPA. Yeah, it's... Dippa, as uh, I like to say in my head. You call it a dippa in your head? Yeah. So it's like uh, the the tasting notes as printed on the can, which is are, really nice, as you mentioned. Yeah, earlier. it's so nice. Um, 
sweet tangerine, tangy grapefruit, and juicy passion fruit. So it's very good. I like it a lot. Yep. Um, and this is actually, so it's in conjunction with Aslan Beer Company, and I think they're from D.C. I have no idea. I feel like I remember you should look this that up. being told. All right, so I was close. It's D.C. metro area. Um, but no, it's really good. All right, so I'll let you introduce this week's topic. So this week we have had some, like, not some issues, but we've been trying to bring another guest on, and, like, it's scheduling's been a little wonky. Yeah, scheduling's been crazy trying to get guests on. So um, we kind of came up with this last minute because we were doing a bunch of research for another topic, and Stephanie had to watch, like, five movies in, like, four days. So we are doing Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World. All right, so let me preface this by saying I had only ever seen the first Jurassic Park and then I saw Jurassic World in 2015. Okay. I have never seen any of the other films before this. So I decided to rewatch everything in preparation for this. Yep. And uh, my favorite part of you rewatching it is you texting me and be like, this is bad. This is not as good as the first Jurassic right. Park. Yeah. Yep. So um, Jurassic Park. This year is the 25th anniversary of yes. the series, um, so we thought it would be fun to talk about it. Yep, and they're doing some showings that we might try to hit. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. One. We haven't bought tickets to that we yet. We have not. Um, we're probably not going to go, but... It's a good idea. It's good in theory. I did just rewatch it this week. It's good in theory. <laughs> All, All right. right, so uh, let's get into some background. So, Jurassic Park... Obviously, it's the sci-fi media franchise. Wait, you just didn't start off with, all you need to know about this is that Jeff Goldblum is in it? No. That's <laughs> how I'm going to wrap this up. Oh, okay. That's fair. It's the American sci-fi media franchise about the disastrous attempt to create a theme park out of cloned dinosaurs. Essentially, the dinosaurs escape, confinement, and terrorize all the peoples. If you don't know what Jurassic Park is about, then shame on you. Shame on you. You've um, had 25 years to watch it. That's true. So, in 1990, Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment bought the rights to the Michael Crichton novel before it was even published. So, the novel began as a screenplay written in, like, 1983-ish, according to the internet, about a graduate student who recreates a dinosaur. So, quick overview, it's meant to be a cautionary tale about genetic engineering presented through the collapse of the amusement park showcasing genetically recreated dinosaurs. It's meant to illustrate chaos theory, and so brief FYI, chaos theory is the mathematical concept related to the behavior of dynamic systems and how sensitive they can be to the initial conditions. It's literally entropy. Yeah. So a slightly different initial condition is going to result in a different trajectory due to the underlying patterns and feedback loops, and it's not exactly the same, but Wikipedia compares it to the butterfly effect. Right. No, this is entropy that all things tend tend to chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I did want to note, though, we're not actually here to talk about the novel, even though, obviously, I just talked about the novel. We're here to talk about the film series and the film franchise that was originally adapted from the first novel, mostly because I have not read the I books. I have not read them. Um, the second film is also an adaptation of the sequel of the first novel. So, story overview. The billionaire philanthropist John Hammond and his small team of genetic scientists created a wildlife park of cloned dinosaurs. Duh. 
The industrial sabotage leads to catastrophic shutdown of the park's power facilities and security precautions, and the small group of visitors and Hammond's two grandchildren try and survive and escape the island. The film, the first film came out uh, in June of 1993 and grossed over $914 million worldwide. Is that adjusted or is that 1993 currency? Mm. It's probably adjusted. Sure. That's a lot of money regardless. So this was the highest grossing film at the time until Titanic was released in 1997. So it was directed by Steven Spielberg, scored by John Williams, and at the time won more than 20 Oscars, including three technical achievements. So, huge fucking film. Yep. So, uh, we have lots of topics. We have lots to talk about. So, I did want to talk about, um, let's start with the first Jurassic Park film. So, the opening sequence is pretty iconic. Mm -hmm. And it's where, and I'm not going to say spoiler alert, because this movie came out 25 years ago, and shame on you for not having seen it. The opening sequence is, like, a super point of tension, and it's where the group of, like, engineers released the big one, which is, it's a raptor, right? Or is it the T-Rex? I think it's a T-Rex. They never actually show what it is. But Little I, arms. No, so, I... I'm pretty sure it's a T-Rex. Because I don't think they would have called the raptor the big one, regardless of how like, it was true. depicted. I think they would have called the T-Rex the big one. That would make sense. So, for and some like reason, when I was watching it, like, re-watching it, I thought it was a big raptor that they were calling the big one, because the raptors were a lot more destructive in the series yeah. than the T-Rex. Yeah. But it may have been the T-Rex, because they were saying it ate the other one, right? Or was it ate... I think it was a T-Rex, because it ate, it's, like, supposed it was supposed to be, like, his mate, her mate. Right. Well, yeah. her sibling, because yeah. they're both females. Right. And they did not expect the females to be able to procreate somehow. Alright, yeah, so, I think it was the T-Rex. So, I made a note with, like, uh, like, that opening sequence is super intense because of the music that comes in so strong, and the music that's used in the first film is very similar to a horror film. Mm -hmm. Like, it builds so much tension. And I also wrote down, like, other movies that have opening sequence that are, sequences that are this intense, and I said, The Boulder Chase in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. I said, the diner robbery in Pulp Fiction. I said, there's something in the water from Jaws. Uh -huh. And then I said, Michael's first kill from Halloween. Okay. So these are all kind of more like intense films in general, I think more so than Jurassic Park. But I thought they're opening. It's interesting that a lot of those are Spielberg movies. They are Spielberg movies. Yeah. Except for Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction and Halloween. Yeah. But so yeah. two, two out of the four. Um, I think that having an. This being this, I don't know at the time if they knew this was going to be a franchise, but having a, like a film start off that heavy to be the start of the franchise, I think the rest of the time I was watching the films, I was constantly going back to being like, this is not as intense as the first one. This didn't draw me in the same way the first one did. I wonder if it was partially because, like, I don't, and I don't know, obviously, like, what they advertised the movies as in 1983. Um, but my question is, like, maybe it was kind of brought to the theater as, like, almost a horror mix. Like, how Jaws is kind of, like, a horror, but it's not actually a horror. Yeah. And that, like, seems kind of to be, like, a, Spiel a Spielberg trend where it's kind of, like, he's breaking and mixing categories. Yeah. So, like, ja or, uh, 
Jurassic Park isn't really a horror, but it is scary as hell. So I did make a note. Uh, was this supposed to be a horror film at the time? Like, obviously, I wasn't born when this film came out. Yeah. So I don't know. But I said it's too family-friendly to be a horror, but it does have the same tension with the score that, like, a horror movie does. Yeah. And also there's people dying left and right. I said, is it kind of like a creature horror, a biological horror? I mean, it's more like a sci-fi suspense thriller. Not even a thriller. It's more like a sci-fi action movie looking back. But at the time, I mean... No, it's, I mean, I agree with you on that. Like, we don't know what it was marketed like, what it was yeah. marketed as. Um, and I think there is a question about, like, whether or not it was... Supposed a, to be yeah. a horror movie. It feels like it could have been. I mean, there's some very, like, tension-building, horror-y mm-hmm. moments in the first one. Um, I did make a lot of notes about Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> because that's what I do. Um... He only speaks in one-liners, riddles, and flirtatious statements when he's playing Ian Malcolm in the first film. That's Jeff Goldblum in real life. That is him in real life. He just speaks in riddles and flirtatious statements. Yeah. It's not liners. It's not wrong. Yeah. But I think Jurassic Park wasn't his first, like, main, like, starring film. But, like, I think that that's, like, the first movie I remember seeing him in was Jurassic Park. I think that's the same for me. I love him so much. Fair warning, most of this episode is going to turn into me devolving into how much I love Jeff Goldblum. I mean, I knew that. You literally texted me, you were like, you know what this episode's going to be, right? And I was like, you just quoting Jeff Goldblum? And you're like, yeah. And, and obsessing over him? him? Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Um, I made a note that my favorite scene in the first film is definitely when... Alan and Ellie react to seeing the dinosaurs for the first time, and then like the theme song plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine is the helicopter scene that is going to be in the cold open. Ah, uh, that's a good one too. That is my favorite scene where they first meet Ian Malcolm for the first time. He and just, the awkward laughs. Oh, well, that's not even that laugh. It's laugh. like it's almost like he's trying to seduce the camera by laughing that way, and it's just awkward. So, in but a, it's perfect. In a, I think it was an AMA on Reddit. Uh, someone asked Jeff Goldblum his favorite line in any of the movies he's done, and he said it's his laugh in the helicopter scene in Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's also my favorite. That's awesome. Um, I also made a comment. Uh, hold on to your butts. Samuel L. Jackson, that was one of his, mm-hmm. that was the first film I think I saw him in as well. Uh, he's yeah. not fully, you know, I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on these motherfucking plane at that point yet, but that was yeah. a good start with him in I'm the one-liners. I'm sorry, you mean I've had it with these Monday to Friday snakes? <laughs> what? Whenever it's on TV and they're like editing it so it's not cursing, they'll say like Monday to Friday and... Stop it! Yeah. No! You need to see this. Holy shit. <laughs> So, uh, like we said earlier, this was the first time that I had ever watched the second and third Jurassic Park films. So, Jurassic Park The Lost World. Jurassic Park 3. Well, I was going to say, moving to Jurassic Park The Lost World. Um, Oh, got it. This one focuses on Ian Malcolm. He goes into the Site B for InGen and uh, tries to go. He goes with a videographer, an engineer, and his girlfriend, who is a paleontologist, to go try and build up sympathy for the animals that are there. To show, like, hey, we gotta conserve these animals. Like, mm-hmm. this is what uh, needs to be done. Because these animals deserve to be preserved and left alone and not in captivity. 
So they go and realize once they get there that InGen has a separate group of people that have gone there to herd these animals and bring them into essentially a zoo for dinosaurs in San Diego. Yep. And all of the fallout from that. So uh, it's only supposed to be, I want to say, three or four years after the events of the first Jurassic Park film. And the storyline is way less compelling. Uh, it does focus on, like I said, it focuses on Ian and his girlfriend and his daughter while they're on the island. And my one question I had is, where the fuck does his daughter come from? Did he have a daughter in the first one? Did I miss that entirely? Did they talk about that? I don't think so. Yeah. Where the fuck did his daughter come from? That literally came out of yeah. nowhere. It does it, I can't remember if it, does it insinuate that, like, that daughter's with the girlfriend? No, I think so that, I thought daughter. the daughter was with his ex, was from one of his ex-wives. Because he had mentioned in the first one he had been married a couple of times. Yeah. But he never mentions in the first one that he has a kid. And then all of a sudden in the second film, it's supposed to take place a couple of years after the first. Well, I mean, like all a, of a sudden in the second film, he also has a different personality. Yeah. It's, it's literally like... He, they brought in a different actor to play him. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we all know it's Jeff, but, like, he literally plays a totally different character than he does in the first film. Yeah, which we'll get to, I think we'll, we should discuss that a little more. We'll come back to that, yeah. but I do want to say, as like, we, that was a as thing. As we finish yeah. the of them. Um, I would, I made a note where the second film feels like it's the good guys versus the bad guys, where in the first film it kind of felt like everyone was on the same side for survival. Yeah. Which I thought was a super different storyline. Again, adapted from a book, which I haven't read, so I can't really judge that. Um, did they not learn anything from the first film about how to respond to a T-Rex? Because, like, Ian was there with the first T-Rex, and then he's with the second T-Rex, and he's still making a muck of it. Like, I don't understand. The dinosaurs were also way more angry and just generally aggressive this second film. I mean, yes, they were allowed in the wild environment rather than being in cat- captivity but I thought it was they were over the top extra angry compared to the first one yeah I agree with that and then I but I mean at the same time and we'll get to world in a second but that same thing happened with world and I think it's more so that they were bred in captivity yeah and like created in captivity and by the time that like world 2 and Jurassic Park 2 came out they had been in the wild and been able to like rediscover their yeah instincts. So I think well, that I thought the whole point of Site B was that um, they were never in cages. Yes, they were bred, but they I were released that, I mean, into like, the wild already. But like, I think it's so... Jurassic World two. They were in captivity right. and then released. Agreed. But I think it's so like. Park 1, you were only seeing animals that were in captivity. Right. Whereas World, or Park 2, you are seeing animals that were not in captivity and had the opportunity to, like, discover and, like, or not even discover, like, hone in on their instincts. And That's true. They were. So, like, they, it's, they would be more aggressive because they were not born in captivity and bred in captivity and raised that way. That's true. They were born in the wild and they had, they only could rely on those evolutionary instincts. So we'll come up to this a little bit later, but I did want that, what you're saying makes sense, but then when you look at, like, in Jurassic World, the what's the big one called? 
the T-Rex. No, bigger than Indominus Rex. In World 1, yeah. Yeah. So, the Indominus Rex from Jurassic World was bred in captivity, but was more, I mean, yes, she was bred to be. It was bred bred to be be that way, though. Yeah, that's true. That was the difference. It's like, she had her DNA mixed with, like, a T-Rex and a Velociraptor, so she was, like, bred to be... No, the T-Rex and the Velociraptor is Jurassic World 2. No, she had... She has the genes of a T-Rex, a chameleon, a snake... And a Velociraptor. I didn't realize the Velociraptor was yeah, the first... It was, was in the, it? it was a Velociraptor because that's why, like, Blue turned on Owen in the first one. Uh, because Blue went to go be with the Velociraptor because it had Velociraptor DNA. And he was pissed when he found out because he was like, you guys just fucked me. Yeah, okay, that does sound more familiar. I literally watched that movie this morning, and I'm totally blanking on that entire sequence You also, like, miss a lot of, like, subtle things. And it was kind of a more subtle thing. Like, it was... I think it was... They talked about it for, like, two lines, and then it was just, like, expected that the audience understood what was happening, and that's why. I don't pick up on that shit. We already established that once today. I don't pick up on subtle hints in movies. Um, I did make a note that the scene where the T-Rex is walking around San Diego is pretty fucking good. Honestly, I can't look at T-Rexes seriously. No, I can't. Do Every that. time I see them in Jurassic Park and Jurassic their arms World, are so their arms are so small, and I can't. I'm just like, why? Why would they even have arms at this point? Like yeah. they're not even really there. And then I think about that one movie, and I can't remember what it's called. But it's a cartoon movie, and it's like um, a T-Rex. Meet the Robinsons. Yeah. <laughs> I have a really big head and, and very tiny arms. arms. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the one. That's the one that makes me think of it not seriously. It's not Jurassic Park. It's no, Meet the but it's every time I see Jurassic Park and I, I look at the T-Rex's arms, I think about that. Yeah. All right. Very cute. We're already off topic. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, so, Jurassic Park 3. First things first, no Jeff. No. No Jeff. That's where they fucked up first. That's the first That's the first where they fucked up. They did bring back Dr. Alan Grant, who I also love. Sam Neill does a fantastic job portraying that character in the first film and the third film. Um... I did make a comment that neither The Lost World or Jurassic Park 3 have the same musical tension as the first one, which I thought was a huge difference. Even though, like, Steven Spielberg did the second film as well, it felt very different, and I think part of it was the lack of the use of the score to build the tension. Yeah. Interesting point related to a previous episode we've done. Yes. I have also noticed that, and... This may not necessarily be true to all, for all sequels, but I've always noticed that like sequels as they go on, they feel like less thought out and less like a lower budget. But I know they have they, a lot of the times they have a higher budget, but that yeah, money is less... used on like CGI and special effects, and they're more over the top, well done. But they don't really pay attention to the little things that made the original so good so like soundtrack in this case yeah so the one thing too to note with the third film is that the third film is the first one that was not directed by spielberg right it was also not based off a book no no book no spielberg so the first two they would show and i it might be a spielberg styling thing where he'll show the dinosaurs going in and like getting someone but after that like it's done yeah the third one they would full-on show the dead body afterwards (laughs) Which yeah. I thought was very different, like stylized. Yeah, wise. stylistically, that's very different. Yeah. Um, I also said the raptor battle was so anticlimactic compared to the older films because you know there's always an intense. The basic storyline is 
There's some dramatic tension scene where you think they're going to die because they're falling out of a tree or falling off of a cliff or falling into the water. Yeah. There's a T-Rex scene battle, and then there's a raptor battle. Always. Yeah. That's like the structure of the film. That's very Um, accurate. This raptor battle in the third one was not good. I did like having Dr. Ellen Grant back. I thought he does, his character I think does a lot for the series because he's the main protagonist. Like, Mm -hmm. he's the main character of the first film. Yeah. So having him back for the third film was good. I thought the whole deal with that family was total bullshit. Yeah, I thought the plot for three was, like, not thought out. It just kind of seemed like someone who was like, let's make another movie and see how much money we can make. And Pretty like, much. That's what it felt like. Not really put any work into I it. I did hear that because of how bad the third one was, Sam Neill said he'll never play his character again. And oh, that's wow. why, like, in the... Jurassic World films, Jeff Goldblum yeah. comes back, yeah, and like other characters come back, but Sam Neill will not play yeah. Alan Grant again because of how bad that third film was. That's fair. So, what makes Jurassic Park such a good goddamn movie? It's a. Uh, She's reading this from uh, what's the site? I don't know. Tor.com. Tor.com. So I found this article uh, just literally titled titled what makes jurassic park such a good like a damn good movie i mean part of it they'd say is due to the uh, like technical advancements that were involved in the film um the actors had refused to take the film seriously there's also like a big ethical discussion yeah and then like storyline wise it's a whole discussion of ethics like What's happening on the island? The whole fucking film is... Did what they what they did, is it ethical to have done? Um, I mean, one of the biggest lines to come out of the first film is, you know, we never stopped to ask if we should. Like, yeah, it's entirely an ethics debate. And I think that's what made the first film so compelling. Um... I did read a note earlier today about how the scene, which is very famous from this film, of Jeff Goldblum, a.k.a. Dr. Ian Malcolm, shirtless after his t- being attacked by a T-Rex, um, that was his idea. Yep. <laughs> so, you're all welcome <laughs> for knowing that now. Thanks, Jeff Goldblum. Thanks, Jeff. Or, uh, as he likes to be called, apparently. Thanks, Zaddy. Zaddy. (laughs) Um, all right, let's go back to Jurassic World. Yeah, let's get into Jurassic World. Yes. Uh, goes this way. That's how I scroll. All right. So, Jurassic World. What happened after the third Jurassic Park to get us here? 22 years and a fuck ton of money. Yep. Um, so yeah. I made a note that the use of the score in this one was more similar to the first one, but it didn't build the same kind of horror tensions. And now that I know that it's a different composer, I think that kind of leads to it. Because when I wrote this, I thought it, they were all John Williams. Because mm-hmm. I did not look yeah, ahead. Yeah, and I don't remember who it was, even though we just looked it up. Some other guy. Yeah. Um, also, what is Claire's job? What does she do? I don't understand. Can we talk about Claire in a little bit? Because, like, I have many thoughts on her. Okay, we'll come back to Claire. Um, But, like, I wanted to say, she does so many things. What is her job? 
Her job is to day-to-day manager of ops. I don't know. She does. She handles investors. She runs the park. She handles all the guests. Yeah. She does so much. I just wanted to point that out. What is her actual job? She does everything. An assistant because she's a woman. Probably not wrong. Um, I did like this guy that is the owner. I made a note like, who is this guy that owns the park? Because he was gifted. The park from John yes. Hammond. Part of he said one of John Hammond's dying wishes were for me to take this over. Right. And so he's like obviously a friend of Hammond, and he's supposed to like I think have like a similar kind of personality. So he's like the goofy guy trying to fly a helicopter and he can't really do it well. Yep. And he just wants the park to succeed. He doesn't really think about what it takes for the park to succeed. Yeah. Um. And then I made a note that. This amount of optimism around the Andromedus Rex is already sounding like a bad idea. Yeah. And that was in reference to the scene where, I don't remember his name because he's not important, because he's not in the second one, um, the owner of the park and Claire are like looking at the Rex and they're like, oh, this is going to be so scary. We want to scare the parents. We want to give the parents nightmares. Like, it's a bad idea. And then I made a note which related specifically to the Jurassic World film that now that I've seen Jurassic World 2, I think makes more sense. I made the note that Raptors as like a war machine was kind of an unnecessary storyline other than to bring Owen into the picture because they started off at the beginning and then it kind of goes away and then it comes back in Jurassic World 2. Actually, that one's a spoiler alert because Jurassic World Two just came out a couple weeks, a couple months ago, so that one can be spoilery. Um, I did really like the scene where Owen is like calming the Raptors after the new guy falls into the pit. Yeah, I thought that scene was really well done. Um, pretty much all the scenes that are Owen and Raptors work well. Uh huh. It didn't make this document, but I did write down. Oh, hey, look! It's Chris Pratt with his Jesus dick. God, Chris Pratt's the worst. Um, I also said, damn, I want to go to that petting zoo. The petting zoo of the baby dinosaurs is so fucking cute. Agreed. Um, I said, the scene where they feed the big water big fish guy is legit. And Lindsay called him earlier a Leopleurodon. That's not real. It's not a Leopleurodon. It's not real. (laughs) No, I looked it up you, uh, after saying a Leo yeah, Plurodon. I, <laughs> I only said all... that because it looked like the one from Charlie the Unicorn. I think because Charlie the Unicorn took it and made up a fake fucking yeah. name. It's a magic of Leo Plurodon. <laughs> God damn it, I loved that video. Um, Isolate. <laughs> oh, God, what did I say? I said, corporate greed's going to kill everybody again. I said, the scene where the two nephews find the old center of yeah. the original Jurassic World or Jurassic Park was really fucking cool. I agree And with then that. I had a flashback to the time that I went to the Jurassic the Jurassic Park segment of Universal <laughs> Studios because the food court set up like the yeah. original park that they go in. I also said, hey, look, there's Jimmy Buffett with his margaritas. <laughs> I actually really did like that scene. That was really funny. Um, I remember seeing it in the theater and being like, Derek, what the fuck? <laughs> Just to be... Yeah, he's just like... Running away with two full margaritas. All right, so... We're going to quickly touch on 
Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom. So this movie came out in June of this year, and we just saw it for the first time today. So this will probably be the most spoilery of the spoilers we're going to yep. get to. Um, my opening note was, I really want someone to die during this opening. Yep. And then it was very predictable. And it was a predictable death. Um, I did make a note that, um, like, how long is in between these movies? And it's supposed... I think the first one takes place in 2015. Yeah, I think it's The second one takes place in 2018. So in the three years they've been apart, like, that's where we got to the point we are now. Um... This is a question for you. So they we get, obviously are introduced to Lockwood. Yep. Was he he was not was his name even stated so, in the other films? I don't I know. I know he's the estranged partner, but I feel like his character was made up out of nowhere. Right. I don't know if he was mentioned. When I looked it up, they only talked about his character in reference to World 2. Okay. So my thought is that if they had mentioned him in the other ones, they would have had like a little blurb for each one. Yeah. So I think that it was made up for this. Which I think is super fucking weird. They just like pulled a character yeah. out of their ass that's supposed to be tied to like everything that's been going on. And yeah. obviously he has nothing, unless maybe he's in the book. He might be in the books, yeah, because I was just looking up a movie specific. He might be in the books. I don't know. I don't know, but I just thought that was odd that you would bring in this character that's had nothing to do in the last four films. Like, his, he hasn't even been mentioned in yep. the last four films, and now he's, like, he's one of the main... He's a huge pivotal role yeah. in this film. Um, I also made a note that how much money is involved in all of this? Because if they have $800 million in payouts due to the Jurassic World catastrophe, how much money do you think they spent? I mean, between building the original park, they had to have had payouts due to the deaths at the original park. They rebuilt the original park. Was it not a new company that rebuilt the original park, though? I thought it was had to do with InGen still. I thought it was a different company. Well, Dr. Wu is in the first film, and he's also still their geneticist throughout, so I I, thought it was all tied to InGen, and InGen's the company that funded the first part. So, how did Mills go behind everyone's back and manage to keep this lie going to literally everyone? Like, he lied to so many people and kept it going? It was in Lockwood's house, and you could hear it, like, you could hear the Indominus, or Indoraptor, like... Yeah, how did you manage howling. to keep that hidden? Yeah, you can hear it howling while you're in there. How did he keep that hidden? I don't know. And, like, how did they just keep that entire process hidden? Although, I will say, the scene where they show them, like, loading all the dinosaurs into the house was super fucking cool. Like, that yeah. system that they had was wild. Um, I do want to say that I got really sad when they were showing, like, the rescue op for the... Oh, when they were leaving the island yeah. for the first time? And, that like, was you really just sad. see the brontosaurus... And like That's a brachiosaurus, by the whatever. way. You just see that really tall dinosaur. Brachiosaurus? I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that you know what it is. Um, the really tall dinosaur with the long neck, and it's just like, you can see it dying. And not even that scene, though, but like all of it when they're, when there's a scene where, and this is in the, this is in the preview, so I'm going to talk about it, yeah. when um, Claire and Franklin get into the pod, and... Owen's running after them, and all these dinosaurs are just, like, frantic running. That's, that was really upsetting for me. I just was like, it's so, it was so sad to see it how scared really they were. It was really sad, yeah, because they're, like, running for their lives. Yeah, this and then they jump, the like, island yeah. is exploding, they jump and they drown. Yeah, it was, um, this one was, um, 
I don't know. It, I think it had one of the better plots to an extent. Um, I like the plot of Jurassic World 1 better than I this. I do too. But I think for a sequel, it had a better plot than the that's other true, ones. That's true. That's true. Um, it was really difficult to watch sometimes. And that was Yeah, just that was no, seeing the dinosaurs like being trapped and essentially tortured was yeah. pretty sad and then seeing them die was pretty sad yeah because they don't really show that stuff in the other ones no they don't they don't show that ch- are you okay or is that just you having allergies that's me having allergies oh i thought you were starting to cry i was oh, like are no. you okay no um the yeah i think this one jurassic world 2 definitely showed the like repercussions a lot more yeah specific to the dinosaurs yeah which we hadn't seen before um i also said the scene where they show the t-rex like screeching in front of the erupting volcano was beautiful yeah that was a good scene um i also said that it's always gonna end with the t-rex is gonna get one of the final kills yeah like if it's not the final kill like in the first Jurassic World, the final kill was Big Fish Guy. A.K.A. a Leo Pleurodon. A.K.A. Not, not actually what it's called. Um, the Big Fish one, he got the final kill in the Jurassic World. But normally the T-Rex gets the final kill. Because mm-hmm. like I said, it goes... Well, that was... In Jurassic World 1, it was kind of like a joint kill between yeah. the T-Rex and the yeah. not Leo Pleurodon. The not Leo Pleurodon. Alright, any more notes before we can go into actual... Just chat and fun shit now? Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, it was chat and fun shit. Okay, so, what was your favorite movie? My favorite one's the first one. Yeah, no, same. Um, and if it's not some, it's not the first one to somebody, then they fucked up. The first Jurassic Park film is so good. Yeah. Um, next question, your favorite character? So I go back and forth on this a lot. I think my favorite is probably Alan. Okay. In the first one. My current favorite after seeing Jurassic World 2 is Franklin. Um, and if you haven't seen it, he's just kind of like there for comedic relief, realistically. Oh, he's the comedy relief character, uh, absolutely. But it's, he has some very good one-liners. And just he like, does. I relate so hard to some of the shit he says. I'm just like, oh yeah, no, that would be me. <laughs> me freaking out over all of this? Yeah. yeah. My favorite is when he, like, looks up and Owen's on the roof and he's, Owen's like, hey, are you good? And Franklin goes, no. (laughs) Just, no. Yeah. Um, My other favorite is when he's, like, spraying himself down with With bug spray. spray And he's like, you guys want any of this? That would be me. I would be spraying myself down with bug spray. (laughs) Um, Who is the worst character in the Jurassic Park film series? Um... I really hated Claire in Jurassic World 1. Yeah. Jurassic World 2, I liked her a lot better. I um, think my least favorite character is the father in Jurassic World 3. Okay. The one that, like, they yeah, yeah. lie mm-hmm. to, like, get go get them yeah. to go look for their son. That yeah. guy was really fucking annoying. Um, yeah, I just thought Claire was really annoying in the first one. In the first world. I didn't like her in the first Jurassic World. You're not wrong. She's very annoying. Also, I did not really like Vince Vaughn's character in Jurassic Park 2. Oh my god, he was in that. Uh, I agree with that. I forgot he was in that. 
Um, least, uh, let's, do you want to rank the movie? Uh, do your least favorite movie, and then let's Yeah, so my least favorite movie is probably... I'm gonna say Jurassic Park 2. See, I would say Park 3. I like... With Park 2 in a very close second. I didn't like either, but I... The thing that really killed me about Jurassic Park 2 is how different Ian Malcolm is. Like, that so, killed me. Let's rank them and then get through the other two questions in the list and let's talk about that because I really want yeah, to talk about that. Um, so, ranking. So, we'll go top to bottom. For me, it's Park Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and then um, Jurassic Park 3... And then Jurassic Park 2. So mine's very similar. It's Park 1, World 1, World 2, Park 2, Park 3. Yeah, so we have a similar ranking. I think that, um... Obviously it's agreed that the two sequels to the first film are the worst out of that entire series. Agreed. Alright, um... What's your favorite dinosaur and why is it the Leo Flaridon? My favorite is... The Leoplerodon. It's not the Leoplerodon. It's a magical Leoplerodon. It's a magical Leoplerodon. It's a magical. The Pterodon. Because I liken the. Um, it's Jurassic Park. Th- it's either Jurassic Park 3 or Jurassic World. They're, oh no, it's Jurassic World. Um, they're in the helicopter and the Pterodon comes in and takes its beak and it stabs a guy through the window yes, of the helicopter. Um, what are the little guys called? Are they on there? Just the little guys? The little guys. Um, they're on here, yeah, hold on. Little beanies? No, hold on, they're higher up. They made the list. So, it's a uh, Compsognathus. They call them the Compies? The Compies. Yeah, they're the little guys that travel in large groups and are super cute before they're hungry. They're like little chickens with no feathers that hunt by harassing their prey. Um, yeah, I thought those guys were super cute. Um, but um, if I'm going by, like, actual, like, favorite, favorite... Is T-Rex? No, it's the Leoplerodon. <laughs> um, no, it's the it's T-Rex with those little, it's little arms. The little, I have a big head with tiny I have arms. a really big head with little arms. Um, so... <laughs> the... Comp snug this... I don't know. The copies? The copies. Um, according to GQ, the accuracy is that they're supposed to be a lot bigger than how they appear in the films, and they can't actually eat anything as big as a person. But they're very dope because they're deceptively deadly, and they're also so cute. Yep. I agree with that statement. Um, GQ also rates the T-Rex as the most badass dinosaur on their uh-huh. power ranking because it's... Obviously, the T-Rex was pretty accurate, and also, it's not a Jurassic Park movie until the Rexy shows up, so yep. you know that's real dope. So your favorite, your your actual favorite is the Mesosaurus? No, I just like saying Leoplerodon. No, it's the Little Compies. Those little Compies? Favorite. I just like saying Leoplerodon over and over again. All right, um, and then this is just a rhetorical question. Why is the first movie so good? Because Jeff Goldblum's got all those one-liners. Because he's got And he's got the shirtless scene. And he's being a zaddy the entire time. He is being a zaddy the entire film. That's what it is. Let's get into um, two actual discussions that I wanted to get into. So, we are actually about to talk about Jeff Goldblum. 
Um, yes. All right. Let's talk about him. <laughs> so I want to talk about how different he is between um, Jurassic Park one and two, and then Jurassic World three or whoa, Jurassic World two. So I, th- the thing that's really weird about his character between Jurassic Park one and two is that he. It almost is written like he's a totally different character. Okay. I think it's a writing thing. And, I mean, again, we haven't read the book, so it's kind of hard for us to tell exactly what happened. But based on the films alone, like, he's a totally different character. Yeah. And then, I mean, in Jurassic World, too, he's a completely different character. I but would say... But you can kind of chalk Jur- that up to him growing up and realizing the mistakes of the past. Yeah, I would say his character in Jurassic World 2, I think, is related to the consequences of what happened, what he lived through in Jurassic Mm -hmm. Park 2, and then what he witnessed in Jurassic World 1. I agree with that. At the end of... And also, though, at the end of Jurassic Park, he is very anti-dinosaur. Yeah. Like, you know he's done it. No, I know. I just, I think, I agree with you. Like, he does change a lot, but it's also been 22 years. He's seen a lot of shit go down. since, it's 22 years since Jurassic Park 3, and then Jurassic World. Yeah. So it's It's at least 25 years. Yeah. Um, And, no, I agree with you. Like, he's seen a lot of shit happen, and understands like their mistake and why they should not keep repeating it and they keep doing it and i mean even in the first i will say in the first film he's very like why did you guys even think this was a good idea yeah so he's very he doesn't like the idea of man playing god yeah in any situation whatsoever because based on his experience as a mathematician like he knows like the based on mathematical theory like all your shit you've thought through is going to get fucked up somewhere. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but the way his character, I, I think it's a writing thing. The way his character is written, like, he's way more, I don't know, he's just more annoying, I think, in the second film than the first one. That's the only thing I can describe. It's like, I didn't like the way his character behaved in the second film. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Um, Let's talk about Claire for a second. So, my biggest gripe with Claire is that she's supposed to be this, like, she's the park operations manager. Yeah. Um, and she's supposed to be a badass, and, but she's also super, like, what bothered me is, like, how girly she was. And when I say girly, I just mean, like, how dependent she was on other people. Yeah, she's very dependent on the people around her. Right, and for someone that's, like, supposed to be this much of a badass she's carrying the, she's basically carrying the day-to-day yeah of this company she's really doing everything but she's so dependent on other people when it comes down to it and that really bothered me it also really bothered me that she's in heels the entire time i do like that there's a comment and he's like oh you're gonna come do this in those shoes yeah i so when i say like she's girly i mean like there's a point where i think she like takes off her jacket and like like ties, st- it, ties up. it up yeah and they're like oh this is her like like rolling up her sleeves and getting into it but it's also like you're the day-to-day operations manager i feel like you should be dressing more appropriately like if you know that you have to go but i mean whatever it's she's it's not so i do want to make a note so um in the first film i mean they don't call him the park operations officer but robert muldoon is essentially like the operations manager Mm -hmm. he knows what's going on with the dinosaurs he's prepared to handle what's going on in the park 
and he is dressed appropriately to go take on whatever the fuck right. he's got to take on. And cl- I mean, I understand. I think that, yes, it's a different time. She's but- dressed more for like the business side of yeah. it, and not the actual like nitty gritty of it. Yeah. So. I mean, because you do see her... I mean, I understand the outfit that she's wearing in the beginning is because she's meeting with investors, but why is your operations manager meeting with investors? Agreed. I've worked with park operations managers, and they don't... They're not the people that yeah. drink, bring in investors. Agreed. That's why I made the point of, like, what is her actual job? Because yeah. she's doing things that I've never seen done by an operations person No, before. I agree. And I also... So I, and this is something that we both noted in Jurassic World 2... Is that like when she goes back to the park? She's wearing like boots and she's. They have like a scene where like they show her feet and they show her in like right. combat boots and she actually dressed appropriately. And like, I think maybe it's because like when in Jurassic World one, she was very idealistic and she Although believed you... that what they were doing was right and that yeah. this was a good thing. And in World two, it's almost like she grew up and she knows what it's actually like to be in the situation situation so she knows how to dress and she knows like what she's getting herself into. also um at the beginning of jurassic world 2 they show a scene of her feet and she's wearing high heels and i made a note like does she own anything but high heels yeah and they showed like the show the shot of her feet in boots and i was like oh look at that they made a point to show us that she changed her shoes again yep and then the other thing i really wanted to discuss is her relationship with Owen. So, oh, it's so not good. It really bothers me that, like, before World 1, they mentioned that they dated and it didn't work out. They went on one date. One date didn't work out. Right. At the end of World, they are together, whatever. Presumably, yeah. Presumably. One, I'm like, okay, well, if you guys went on one date and it didn't work out, what makes you think it's going to work out again? And two, they have broken up. Spoiler. They have broken up. And at the end of it, they're back together. It's like, and part of me is like, this hasn't worked out twice before. Yeah. Why do you think it's so? Work I out actually now? discussed that with Steve, and Steve says that his thought is that they went through a, like a traumatic, life-changing experience together, and they feel attraction in that moment, reliving through the dramatic tension there. Yeah. But they, as soon as they're outside of that, they realize, oh, fuck, we don't actually like each other. I get that, but that's real life, and that's not how oh, I know. a movie works. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, I mean, fuck, I don't know. I... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this from, like, a real-life perspective. Obviously, yeah. like, in a movie, it doesn't fucking matter. But, like, realistically, that would never work out. And that's one of the other ones I wanted to go into. All right, can we discuss my favorite part of this now? Jeff Goldblum? Yes, Jeff Goldblum. What about him? Why is he so amazing? Because it's Jeff Goldblum. He has one-liners. He's just a zaddy the entire time. And he's sarcastic. I love him so much. Um... The internet has essentially just kind of said he's so fucking charming that, like, you can't not love him. He really is charming, though. Um, some other fun reasons why Jeff Goldblum is the best at everything. He can wiggle his ears independently. His voice is hypnotic. He's actually done, like, Apple commercials, Toyota commercials, P&G commercials, there's a bunch of just, like, videos of him talking that are meant to calm you down. Yeah, like ASMR. Yeah. Yep. Oh, just him talking. Yep. Um, he poses shirtless. He has his own one-liner. And essentially, it's just must-go-faster from Jurassic Park. 
He has his own band. He's in a jazz band. He plays piano in L.A. He plays regularly, and I know people that have no people that have met him. Okay. And um, he's just wonderful. He's so suave and charming. All right. Are you are you tired of me talking about him? Do we need to talk about how not even, he is? It's not even that I'm tired of you talking about him. I think everybody that's listening to this is probably tired of you talking about it. I love Jeff Goldblum. Honestly, this episode should just be called Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. In the gang discusses Jeff Goldblum and Jurassic Park. The gang talks about zaddies. I like that one. All right. So um, I don't think we have much else to talk about. Cool. So I think on the note of zaddies, we're going to end this one. Okay. Because Jeff Goldblum is a daddy, and he likes to be called daddy. He's a daddy, and he like he has now understood that being called a zaddy is like on the spicier end of being a daddy. Yeah. When it comes to a sexual topics, um, he also likes being called daddy as a father and daddy as being a daddy. So, yeah. yep. Just so you all know. So, in conclusion, Jeff Goldblum. That's all. Zaddy. He's a zaddy. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time, nerds. All right, so that was the episode. You could follow all of our shenanigans and watch while we act as a beer social media account that masquerades as a podcast yeah we have all the socials as you know um so keep in touch with us say hi we like friends and uh come hang out if you're in <laughs> all right that was the episode you can keep up with all of our Lives and drunken shenanigans, drunken shenanigans on social media and the interwebs. Yes, we are for first and foremost a beer Instagram pretending to be a podcast Instagram. That's accurate. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so come follow all of our socials, we have all of them. All of them. Uh, we're Drunken and Cultured Podcast on the Facebook. We are Drunk Uncultured on Twitter. Because Drunk and Uncultured was too long of a name. We are on Instagram as Drunk and Uncultured. And we have a Gmail account slash email, I guess. Gmail is not the right word to nah, use. Gmail is the right word. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, we have an email account on Gmail. <laughs> uh, if you want to contact us about any opinions you have, things you want to hear... Things that are too long for Twitter, like two hundred longer than two hundred eighty characters, or you know, you just want to say hi. Yeah, so that's drunk and uncultured at gmail dot com. We have a kind of website that is drunk and uncultured podcast dot com. Eventually, will be a real website. Hopefully. Or maybe never. Maybe not. Know. It might just be something that we own the, the, the domain to and never actually use. <laughs> I make a Spotify playlist for every episode. She does. So listen to it, subscribe, let Steph feel fulfilled in life, and it's validate called, her. It's called Drunk and Uncultured Music. 
We're on Spotify. And, and it's a good playlist. I listen, I listen to it all the time. I change it every couple of weeks because it's whatever we're listen to, listening to or, like, it's themed around the episode yeah, sometimes. it's really good usually. Always. Shouldn't say usually. She gave me a mean look. <laughs> <laughs> um, we both have our individual socials. Stephanie is at underscore Stephen Color. And Lindsay is at Lindsay Sold Out. So if you like the show, please go online, um, on whatever your favorite podcast streaming service is. Or if we're, you know, reaching you. If you're listening to this illegally somehow, I don't know how. I don't know how. Just, like, subscribe, rate us, like us, leave a review, whatever floats your boat. If we're reaching you, you know, telepathically, just, uh, reach out back at us. 